Welcome back to another edition of the GP Fan Stewards Room podcast with myself, Ollie Wilson, Sam Hall, Ewan Gale, and back on the show, Jake Sanson, are going to break down everything that took place at the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend. There's no kings of the keyboards, there's no fine alliteration with my introduction today because I don't think the Turkish Grand Prix really deserves it. Sam, how are we doing today, mate? Pleasure to chat with you as always. Yeah, I'm um, I'm not too bad. Um, I think there was really one main talking point from the weekend and that was probably it really, wasn't it? It was it was a little lacklustre in Istanbul, shall we say, but I know Ewan's probably going to be quite happy. He's got a wry smile on his face already about what took place on Sunday. Quite enjoyed it. <laughs> you don't have to be so coy about that. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. It's But it's the type of race I like. It's the type of race that no matter what, you sort of has you on the edge until the end because you, no one really knew what was going to happen with the tyre situation. So that I, I like that sort of thing that you know, it, it keeps you thinking until the end of the race. Sometimes you'll have a, a race that's really good for, say, 20 laps, but then you know what's going to happen by the end uh, quite early on. So that's why I like that sort of race. And our resident uh, motorsport commentator, Jake Sanson, joining us back on the podcast once again. How are we doing, Jake? Mate, pleasure to chat with you as always. Yeah, it's great to be back on the show again. Um, Turkey was, well, do I say vaguely interesting? Kind of felt a bit like the German Grand Prix of 1992, where you were kind of waiting for something to happen. It's a bit like that, minus the unreliability that I always used to love about Formula One, you know, cars breaking down. (laughs) Oh, maybe he won't get to the end of the race. Nah, he will. And um, yeah, it was supposed to get going, that race. I just kind of felt it didn't really, and it should have done. Well, look, let's start with you, Jake, and let's talk about the race that never really got going because it was a procession. Valtteri Bottas from pole, finishing a top spot on the podium, wasn't ever really tested. There was a moment where you thought maybe Ferrari and Charles Leclerc might have a chance to pull off an incredible victory in Turkey. But aside from that, it was really the flying fin that dominated proceedings. Uh, Almost all weekend, thanks to Lewis Hamilton's PU change as well, giving him that 10-place grid penalty. An imperious performance from Bottas, and a great one, I guess, for him, and a nice moment for the departing Mercedes driver. But in terms of entertainment, it didn't provide too much. No, not really. But it's really good for Valtteri. And it's really good for his career prospects, his reputation. He leaves Mercedes having got a race win this year uh, before he joins Andret Alf Sauber, whatever it's going to be called next year. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, it is an, it's a big moment for him. I think it's an important way for his 2021 season to curtail. I think he needed to prove to everybody he could still win again. Uh, otherwise, he had a danger of catching Eddie Irvine syndrome, really, and just kind of being the haphazard number two that goes to another team to prove he's better than everybody and not really managing to. I think that was what he was kind of in danger of doing and potentially still is. Um, I got irritated about the race from lap one in all honesty, um, yet another penalty that wasn't warranted. Uh, and it just got, it, it's starting to bug me now, the inconsistency. It's like the late 80s at the moment. The lack of consistency with penalties is important. I'll give you I'll give you sort of a, a, an idea of what I'm talking about. There was an incident between Gasly and Alonso on the first lap. And then about 20 laps later, there was an incident between Sainz and Vettel. And for me, if a penalty had to be handed out in that race, it should have been the other way around. If you look at Gasly and Alonso in turn one, what on earth were you expecting Pierre Gasly to do when Fernando Alonso is the one who's decided to, you know, gamble and go around the outside? It didn't work. He spun off. 
You know, if you go three wide into turn one at Istanbul, you know it's probably not going to work. So why are they penalising the guy who made the mistake uh, and of being in the middle? You know, he, he, where could you go? You can't go left or right because that's not the racetrack. He's the only one, really, who was on the racetrack where he was supposed to be. You've decided to penalise the guy who did the right thing, whereas the guy who got it wrong and spun off, he got away with it. And it's baffling. And then... A few laps later, you've got Sainz charging his way through the field, having a go at Vettel, Banzai's up the inside and actually nudges him out of the way to get past him, and they don't ban eyelid. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, was that worth the penalty? Let's put it out of the hat. Yeah, penalty, that's what I We'll go back a bit later. He's barged up the inside of Vettel. He hit him. Nah, it's fine. We've already given a penalty. We don't need to give another one. But isn't this as well, we're looking at turn one, it's it's a racing incident, surely, at Turn 1, because we know uh, almost at every single Grand Prix that you go to, that when coming off a main straight, going down into that first corner, there's an opportunity and a chance that there are going to be three, four cars wide going into that first corner, and there's going to be contact somewhere. I mean, we normally see a lot of leniency, particularly at the opening corners of, of a Grand Prix, and for some reason that didn't happen in Turkey, Sam. Well, what Michael Massey's actually come out and said since the race is that they've been too lenient on it and they've had to ratchet it back a bit on their lenience for lap one incidents and turn one especially you think of um, drivers being shoved wide in Austria and places like that where there's plenty of runoff so you can get away with it Um, Alonso tested the waters in Russia last week testing the waters putting it very mildly he deliberately ran off the track Um, but yeah so they're ratcheting it back a bit and going if they believe a driver is wholly to blame they'll give them a penalty. If it's only predominantly to blame, then then they might not give a penalty. That's where the grey area comes in. They say that Gasly was wholly to blame for that. I I, I agree with you, Jake. I, I don't think... Hogwash. I think, as you say, he was on the right part of the track. It, what could he do? He couldn't go left, couldn't go right. There was nothing he could do. Um, so I think that is extremely harsh. And on the Vettel one, I... I feel me and Jake going to be aligned on several of these things today. I mean, I I start to wonder, actually, because of Alonso making his comments recently in the press, he made a statement recently, oh, it's all dependent on the driver's nationality as to who gets a penalty and who doesn't. And I wonder if the fact that he got pitched into a spin in a racing incident, was that a slightly weak-willed manner from the stewards to kind of say, well, if he doesn't come off with a penalty, Gasly, because he was the one who struck Alonso. Are we going to look like we don't care what Alonso thinks? I think if that was in the dry and Gasly had made that contact, given that we know the level of grip was insane at that track, um, I think if that had been in the dry, it was a deserved penalty. Where it was in the damp, wet conditions, drivers approaching turn one, racing speed, not knowing what the grip's going to be like at that point in those conditions... For me, that is as pure of a racing incident as you get. There's no malice in it, no no ill will, it just happened. And as, as you know, as Ewan knows, these accidents just happen. There's nothing you can do about it sometimes. I wouldn't even agree it was a clear penalty in the dry. Uh, yeah, I would, totally. I think, well, he's, he's nerfed him from behind. And to be honest, I think if he was lap two, I'd agree with the penalty as well. My problem comes down to the terminology that Michael Mazzi used. He said that... It, it, to all effective purposes that a predominantly to blame crash on lap one at turn one won't be penalised but it will for the rest of the race 
you've got to be wholly to blame to be penalised on lap one. I think there was only predominantly to blame for Gasly because obviously Alonso was on the outside and Perez was down the inside. I think he'd be penalised a lap later. I do disagree on the science one. I don't really see why that should be a penalty. He was down the inside. He was passed. There wasn't any contact from what I could see. If there was, it was slight. Um, it wasn't. It was a bit clumsy, yeah, but no penalty. And the other thing is you can't compare the two because they're completely different. Um, but taken away from that, Taking away from those two moments, a few spins on lap one as well, I thought we saw the F1 guys at the top of their game. And and it's partly played into why some people will say that the race never turned into the race it promised to be, is because everyone was so at the top of their game, hardly any mistakes. And actually, sometimes you've got to take a step back and go, you know, we're watching the best 20 drivers in the world doing what they're good at. It didn't take off because they didn't make mistakes. That's essentially what we're saying, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. And 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 people will be disappointed that it wasn't an absolutely barnstorming, incredible race. But then, again, the only mistakes really were a few spins early on, a lot of them due to contact, obviously, with Alonso and Schumacher as well. And then, obviously, Vettel thought it was time for slicks. What a mistake that was. But apart from that, everyone was pretty stellar to be honest and if we're going to moan about that then we're watching the wrong sport because in the end like I said they're the 20 best uh, drivers on the grid we always complain when there's paid drivers in there taking seats that are supposedly better in someone else's hands and yet when the 20 guys do the best job they possibly can do given the conditions I mean they're they're as tricky conditions as you'll ever see given the the way the tyres were going as well and then we're going to moan about it. Come on, do us a favour. You, you do, you do make a valid point because even Mazepin, it would be very easy to pick up on. You know, Mazepin as the pay driver, and everyone's kind of looking at him as whether he's worthy of his place. You couldn't really look at him in the Turkish Grand Prix and say he didn't deserve to be there. Oh no, he had he actually, absolutely no. no pace whatsoever. And Schumacher, no pace, but you know, any, anyone else could have checked him. that in the barriers, and he didn't. So fair play to him. Exactly. And it's worth pointing out as well that where Mazepin chopped across Hamilton, that looked worse than it actually was. Yeah, good point. So it like it it, it was bad, but it, it wasn't as bad as it initially looked. So you know they all did a great job. I I think as we said at the start, I think Valtteri was in a class of one. To be honest, he was pretty stellar all race long. Even Sonoda had a good race as well. Um, and I mean we've been critical of him on here as well before and. A lot of the drivers that we have been critical of, they they really stepped up. As we say, everyone was good. Um, there was no one driver that I would point at and go, you had a terrible day today. God, this is turning into a bit of a loving in the Turkish Grand Prix. <laughs> it's frustrating. I mean, this is, every, everybody was just so wonderful and everybody should get a, a participation trophy for the level of achievement that they showed on Sunday. What about Mercedes, though, with Lewis Hamilton? Were there mistakes made by Mercedes in the way that they handled Hamilton on the weekend? Ewan is adamantly shaking his head while Sam is nodding away with me. So I'm going to go with Ewan first to try and defend Mercedes and uh, um, and the way they handled Lewis Hamilton, deciding to bring him in so late on that he wasn't able to make up the places that he'd lost after making that pit stop. But those tyres were pretty much well, 100% gone. There was no tread left on them, and they had to bring him in at some point. Hamilton seemed unsure whether he could stay out or not and was very frustrated, I think, with the with the call that the team made, as well as we heard on the radio. Ewan, Mercedes, it's not a blunder in your eyes, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, before people call me loco, 
I uh, <laughs> I'll put the caveat in that pitting when they did was in a complete strategic no man's land. I am land. making notes sort of... for the case for the defence here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so it pitting when they did didn't really make sense. It was more a safety thing to I think cement fifth position. Um, in terms of the Mercedes strategy blunder, at the time Lewis wanted to stay out. The other drivers who had pitted were going through their graining phase, and the times were similar, if not Hamilton was faster on his old inters, as was Charles Leclerc, as was Esteban Ocon, who also stayed out. Mercedes, in their fairness, told Lewis to pit eight laps before he did, mm. because they knew that this graining phase was coming, and Lewis, in his infinite wisdom, because, let's face it, he's made so many incredible calls to stay out or pit at certain times in the past... He said, I'm staying out. So they go, right, okay, we'll go another lap. We'll go another lap. We'll go another lap. If he pitted then, he would have been fine. He could have even challenged Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez for the podium. He didn't. And then it became quickly apparent that those tyres weren't going to reach the end with any sort of decent pace. And they had to pit to, uh, to consolidate the fifth place. So... As far as I'm concerned, and let's face it, Mercedes have been a bit iffy on the strategy this season so far. I don't think it's a Mercedes blunder. I also understand why Lewis said, I want to stay out, because as far as he's concerned, the tyres were still going nicely when he said, I want to stay out. So it's it's one of them things of circumstance, and it's so easy to say, oh, they messed up, when really, in hindsight... You put yourself back in, in the position. We didn't know what was happening. There was a point where me and Sam were texting each other during a race going, Leclerc might win this. And that was only about three or four laps before it all went pear-shaped and Bottas was taking three seconds a lap out of him. So, you know, it's so easy to criticise afterwards, isn't it? But, you know, in the end, they still got fifth. They limited the damage, so... It's on the happy pills today. Oh. It's just being so nice to everyone. Let's not let's not say anything negative. Let's be let's be very friendly and diplomatic. You and this is you're off the fence and you've fallen into a meadow of sunshine and, and daisies and rainbows. You, you told sure me, Sam, on. when I was gonna come on this programme that it was gonna be backs to the wall, there'd be blood on the barn's doors, there'd be all sorts <laughs> of gelatinous waste thrown around. This is just like the care bears, this Speaking is. Speaking of which though, I mean, the case for Mercedes did make mistakes. I mean Ewan's already said, in hindsight, they made plenty of mistakes. So really, he's kind of given his own downfall there. So well done. Thanks for that, Ewan. You've made my job a lot easier. Um, But yeah, um, pitting when he did, as you said, made no sense whatsoever. We'd seen that there was was this graining phase from the drivers that stopped earlier. We'd seen that that lasted about eight to ten laps, and then you suddenly got the second wind, as happens with slick tyres, and we see race in race out we know that it goes through that phase i mean this is why we get lewis's radio messages almost week in week out going my tires have gone oh no they're all fine again it's all right um so they knew there'd be this phase they knew it wouldn't be an immediate switch on of we've got three seconds a lap on everyone we're gonna storm through the field um so they should have either pissed him when they originally called him in so really did mercedes make a mistake there Mercedes should have called him in and should have said, no, you are stopping. This is the situation. Mm. You are stopping. Um, They'd like to say we win together, we lose together, all as a team. Lewis afterwards seemed... He's come out and said, reiterated the team rhetoric again this morning. Um, 
but it all seemed very disjointed after the race. It seemed very not quite me and them, but it didn't seem like the harmonious team we're used to seeing. Um, if Lewis re- Mercedes kind of were in between a rock and a hard place, if they didn't stop, we'd seen from Leclerc they would probably lose the pace. Um, and they might have finished fifth. They might have lost two or three places, maybe fifth or sixth. By pitting him, they protected fifth. But then we saw that the cars behind him suddenly lost their pace as well. Because they had the graining phase. So really, Mercedes could have still had third or fourth without pitting him. Um, so uh, so are you pointing the finger of blame at Hamilton rather I than think, Mercedes yeah, at this I point? I think then? more at uh, Lewis... Um, the, the mistake, Can I just pick up on the something before that, you go any further? The mistake though. that Mercedes made was not being forceful and saying you must pit. Lewis, I would say yes. But the rest has got to be on him. You just just quickly because you said that pitting when they did made no sense whatsoever. It did a little bit because Ocon lost fifty seconds to Science in fourteen laps, and Ocon went to the end on his title. In fourteen so, laps, uh, not eight laps. Yeah. Yeah, 14, yeah, sorry. I was thinking eight laps between when he should have pitted and not. Um, yeah, so 14 laps, uh, 50 seconds. Uh, that's enough to show you that actually there was a reason for Mercedes pitting when they did. It was just it never gave Lewis a chance of fighting for that podium. It was, like we said, consolidating It was the China fifth. 2007 that really, I think, was the reason that Lewis pitted. He lost the world title... Yeah. By, and it isn't an under understatement, he lost the world title by going into the gravel in the pits. So, I mean... Which, ironically, is exactly why they made the call in Russia to win. Mm. Mercedes, perfect last time out. Hamilton, perfect, brilliant team effort. This time, 5 out of 10. Not not a great one for the, them as a pair. Uh, I'm, I'm with Sam on this one. I, I think, personally, Lewis has got to the stage this year where I think he feels he is bigger than the team at times. And it's interesting because that seems to play out on their radio communications a lot this season. But this is a unique season. I think we need to keep coming back to that with 2021. This is such a unique season. Red Bull have to, absolutely have to win this championship in 2021. Because let's be honest, they are never going to get a better opportunity to catch Mercedes with their pants around their ankles than they will this year. Because of the fact that the 2021 regulations have now become the 2022 regulations, they've basically got the opportunity to build on a car where at the end of last season, they were strong. They were really strong. And this is what Red Bull have always been good at. So they were given a lifeline this year from taking a car that was strong at the end of last year that they can maximise and build on. And that's all they've really had to do in 2021. Mercedes have been in a back foot position. They've never been in a back foot position in the hybrid era. So this year is critical for Red Bull. They have got to beat Mercedes. If they don't, then we're basically set for another seven years of what we've already previously seen from Mercedes in that light. And beating them it doesn't just give hope to Red Bull that, you know, they have got this right. It gives hope to the other teams because they know that Mercedes currently have Formula One and the regulations by the throat at the moment. It's up to Red Bull, who are the only ones that can take a torch to that candle. They've got to go for it. And Mercedes are aware of that, acutely aware of that. So these mistakes are coming because of pressure they've never been in before. It's interesting what you say there about Lewis 
perhaps feeling he's bigger than the team. Whether that's true or not, only only Lewis knows, obviously. Um, because I think Lewis and perhaps Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel are in fairly unique positions on the grid where, because of their status as multiple world champions, they are able to say, no, this is what we need to do. I don't think if you had necessarily Mick Schumacher, Nikita Mazepin, Yuki Tsunoda, even sort of more experienced drivers, perhaps like Sergio Perez and even Valtteri Bottas, I don't think they would be able to turn around and say these things on the radio because they've not won as much, um, whether that's correct or not. They, they just haven't. So, I mean, Lewis is able to turn around. If Lewis turns around and says, no, I can do another 10 laps on these tyres, leave me out of here. You've got to trust his judgment. And everyone makes mistakes. That, that's what it's like. That's a, that's a problem, how... though, isn't it? I mean, the relationship between driver and team has to be really cohesive. So if the driver is starting to think that he's no, he knows more than the team, particularly when the team on the pit wall have got all of that information, they've got the visual aid, of of course, using the TV screens that they have as well to see things like tyre graining or tyres going bald, that is a problem in the future. If the first time Mercedes have really been pushed in a long time, you're seeing cracks where the driver and the team chemistry don't work. It doesn't bode well with F1 trying to increase parity in the sport and potentially put more pressure and prevent teams from having the sort of dominance that we've seen in the past. It's not a good thing to have, a good narrative to have in the team going ahead further down the line as, as things go on with Hamilton, who's just signed that new deal, of course, with them. But I'm not even sure it's, it's Hamilton thinking he's bigger than the team. There's just been so many question, uh, questionable calls this season between the, the driver and the pit wall. Uh, we think about Hungary, they threw... A golden opportunity at a victory when Verstappen was in trouble away because they stayed on Inters and took that start by themselves that's just one of the many strategical errors Mercedes have possibly made so how much is it that Lewis thinks he's bigger than the team I'm not sure I agree with that but how much of it is just as Toto Wolff pointed out yesterday that they need to work on the trust between the two of them because now, Lewis this season has seen positions lost through strategy. When he knows he's in that podium, having started 11th, he there must be something subconscious in the back of his mind going, I don't know, guys, I'm quite happy in third, I'll fight for it. There, there, yeah. there is another argument that is a possible, and it's that in recent... Well, in the last 12 months, we've gone from Lewis Hamilton not sure what he wants to do with his future in the sport to suddenly saying, I'm going to commit to another couple of seasons because I've seen what the F1 2022 car looks like. I think I can win another championship or two with that. And since then, Mercedes have decided, okay, we're going to go with George Russell. And now George Russell is quite clearly looking likely that he could be a threat to him next year. There's no two ways about that. Is this the beginning of Lewis looking over his shoulder thinking, maybe I'm not the top dog anymore? It's not that way at the moment but is this like the building blocks for the beginning of the end as it were because now Bottas his little safety blanket is not going to be there next year it's now going to be the fired up tempestuous exciting new talent of George Russell who this year has already proven that he's more than capable of stepping up to that plate it, it could it's be it's a good point it's a good point I was just about to say Sam that you know Hamilton was quite open saying that 
he quite liked Bottas as a teammate mm. and he would have been quite happy with Bottas next year so when we're talking about trust it's not just within the strategy in the race it's, it's trust as a whole isn't well, it when, you, when Jake was just talking there about the tempestuous young teammate coming into a team um, I instantly thought back to 2007 again I've second time mentioned 2007 just in this one recording I'm stuck in the stuck in the year but this young guy came up from GP2 called Lewis Hamilton and went and took it to a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso I mean George Russell yes he's got Formula 1 experience now and three seasons worth of it but um, he's going to be all the stronger for it and I, I think I speak for all of us. I, I mean, he nearly spanked Bottas year. at Sakir last year in a car that he couldn't fit in while wearing shoes he couldn't fit in. Imagine how much stronger he could be than Lewis by the time we get to Bahrain next year. And if the trust isn't there between Lewis and the team, but Russell's going to be stepping into Mercedes wanting to play the team game with his new team. There isn't going to be... He's going to want to start with a great relationship great relationship with Toto Wolff and everybody else he's not going to want to start and be you know barking out orders to the pit wall I don't think necessarily it, they're going to want the the early honeymoon period with their new hot young driver I don't think Russell's going to be that driver who comes comes into the team and comes on the radio every five minutes demanding he wants this he wants that Lewis has got this so I want that I think George is a much more calculated character yeah, he's going to play the long game, isn't he? Yeah, I, th- I think George is going to come into the team, and similar to Leclerc when he joined Ferrari, um, he'll accept the team orders in the first few races and accept that he's learning. But as soon as he gets that first sniff of a race win or of a podium, I think at that point he's suddenly going to go, hang on, yes, sort of Lewis is right here, but I'm right with him and I can do this. If this car is capable of a championship win, I want this as well. Um, mm. And I, d- I don't think it's going to be Rosberg-Hamilton levels of acrimony again. In my mind, this is going to be more like perhaps Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton at McLaren. That's how I can see this relationship going, um, being sort of quite nice. quite We get along with each other, but we've got pace that's about the same as each other. And it could be a perfect mix for Mercedes, actually. Of course, I also I think, think a lot of their dynamic next year is going to come down to whether or not they do actually beat Red Bull this year. Because that's also yeah. going to change the priority. That's also going to change the dynamic. If they're in a comfortable position where the team's won again, I don't think there's so much pressure on it. Whereas if they get beaten by Max Verstappen and Red Bull this year, both men are going to feel, well, Lewis couldn't do it. Lewis couldn't beat Max. George is going to think, well, I can beat Max. Let's uh, let's talk about Red Bull this weekend quickly. Um, first, can we just say that car looks phenomenal in white? It dust, really, really it? does. It does. It's it's almost a shame that we're going to have to go back to the old old look, the classic Ooh, look. Keep because, it, keep the look. Yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely. Looks I, awesome. I, I know there was a lot of vibes around the Golf McLaren, and yeah, it was a nice one-off, and I really liked it. But I did feel they needed to stick with the traditional Mercedes papaya orange. I, I, it was a nice one-off. And I did like it, but I think it was good that it was a one-off because it kind of added a little bit of glamour to it and there was something, a, a sort of a nice speciality around it. But the McLaren colours are the McLaren colours. Whereas with Red Bull, you know, we this is an opportunity to say thank you to Honda for all their hard work. They should finish the season on it. 
I absolutely agree they should finish the season on it and then revert back to what they do on 2022. To be fair, talking of Perez, he was great this weekend. I'll pay him now because I've said loads of nice things about him. I'll send him his check (laughs) because he... uh, he was on it on Sunday, wasn't he? He was outstanding. And really, the highlight of the race was uh, Sergio and Lewis side-by-side, side, almost Button and Lewis-esque from 2010, into Turn 12, side-by-side, side, Perez going over the pit entry and uh, really getting his elbows out. And that is exactly what Red Bull want from their second driver. We haven't seen it mm. at all, really. Um, so, yeah. Good, good on Sergio, good podium. A confidence boost he needed, as I've said for weeks now, qualifying still needs to pick up, but his race pace has looked good. And this was the first time since France, really, that all the pieces on the Sunday fell into place for him with no little bits of bad luck. So, And, and look, he gets a podium for it. So good on Sergio and Max as ever. Really solid job in a car that was second best this weekend. I mean, what we saw from Sergio Perez is exactly what Mercedes wanted to see from Valtteri Bottas in Russia, isn't it? That that was putting up a fight against the rival in both the Drivers' World Championship and, of course, for the Constructors' Championship as well. Slowing down Hamilton, not giving him an easy ride, not letting him by, and being that blocker to limit the damage limitation to Max Verstappen and prevent Hamilton from making up ground after taking the grid penalty and the the 10th place that he lost uh, before the race. That was exactly the fight that Red Bull want in these final few races from their number two at this point. So It's exactly what they need, as Ewan said. I mean, we're all getting along today. It must be something about Ian being here that sort of just causes <laughs> the conflict. But no, um, I mean, Perez, I've been critical. I've been very critical of him all year because he hasn't delivered. He, he's barely done anything that you would expect of a driver in... A potentially championship winning car. He's he only won a race. He won one race and previously had one podium. That's not. And it what was you, a, that's not it was what fortuitous. Said. It was race yeah. Win. So it's not what you expect. Got to be there. It's not what you expect from a driver like that. But I cannot fault him for this weekend. And if this is a turning point, then good luck to him. I mean, hopefully, I, mean, I say hopefully, hopefully for Red Bull, he can string the results together he can be on the podium more frequently and um, yeah he is I think the championship or the constructs championship it won't be decided with Lewis and Max they're going to have so little between them that it it won't make a difference this is going to be decided by Bottas and Perez and at the moment even though he doesn't seem to have had a great season this race apart Bottas has been the better driver so if you put the whole weekend together, counting qualifying and the race, because I know Ewan obviously says about correctly about Perez's qualifying being awful. Um, and that's that's the interesting thing, though, is that if you look at the two, you'd say that Valtteri's been brilliant in qualifying and maybe struggled more in the races, whereas Sergio has been poor in qualifying, but actually had better race but, pace. But Valtteri's and been the in problem position is, then to have the strong points finishes in the race. Exactly, because as soon as you're in that dirty air, you're stuffed, don't you? Mm. And and that's what we've seen all season. That's what we've seen when Valtteri's been in traffic. That's what we've seen when Lewis has been in traffic in normal conditions because he couldn't get past Ricardo in Russia. It's a, it's a typical thing because these teams, Mercedes, Red Bull, they're not developing cars and aerodynamics to run 6th and 7th in the pack. They are running the 
absolute optimum best car they can make. So as soon as there's a car in front of them, they are absolutely knackered in that race, let alone five or six cars in front of them. So, I mean, we saw on the weekend, okay, Lewis was making his way through the field, but it was already 20, 25 seconds down after about 10, 12 laps. Such was the difference in pace between Valtteri with clean air and Max tagging along with him and Charles tagging along with him and then the guys who were stuck in the traffic. And just to back up my point here about the points difference, Max is leading Lewis by six points in the championship. Valtteri is leading Sergio by 42 points. There mm. is, there, there's the picture laid as starkly as you want it. Perez must do better. He's a good weekend this weekend, so it sounds harsh this weekend saying he must do better, but uh, in the closing six races, he must do better than he has done. I, I want to put a counter-argument in for that and actually defend Perez a little bit, oh, because no, I think this actually says... I think this <laughs> this whole situation actually says more about Red Bull than it does about Sergio Perez. I mean, look at the last three seasons. We know that Pierre Gasly is a good racing driver. He's been able to take a high-pressure situation like leading in front of Carlos Sainz and winning the Italian Grand Prix and an Alfa Tori. So we know that Pierre Gasly is a good driver. Look at Alex Albon. He was a very tough racing driver last year. He got himself into scrapes, but he was willing to get his elbows out there and give it a go which a lot of the previous Red Bull number twos were not positioned to do. He was driving a bit like Max. And unfortunately, poor luck is what kind of ruined his season. But he was good enough, for my money, to be in that car. And Sergio Perez, not many people would say, oh no, Sergio Perez isn't good enough to be in the Red Bull. And he's proven, you know, he can win races with that car, but he's had bad luck as well. I think this says more about Red Bull. They say, no, we don't prioritize Max Verstappen. It's a two car. You are absolutely having a laugh if you are expecting us to believe that. The whole car, the whole team is built around Max. They adore him. He is the golden boy who can do no wrong. So... As far as they're concerned, they have built a one-man team and the other guy's there to pick up points. Pick up points when you can. But the whole infrastructure seems to be based around Max. You can't run a Formula One team around one man. That's how you lose championships. It is how you do Look at the last two, three seasons. Max still makes mistakes. He's vulnerable. He's human. You need to have two guys. That's how Mercedes was so strong at winning Constructors' Championships. Because while Lewis was doing his thing, Valtteri was still banging in the points. But if you build a car that's only built around one driver, only one driver is going to bring the points home. It's as simple as that. This is going to sound quite funny because I'm sort of going against someone who's defending my point. (laughs) But but, uh, the one thing I would say is that I think Max has sort of earned that. He's come through the Red Bull program. He's then cemented his place. He's been there since 2016 through a regulation change in 17 with the different shaped cars and, and the new aerodynamics that season. It makes sense for Red Bull to build around him. Um, in the same way... No, but you say it doesn't win championships and then Ferrari and Michael Schumacher did it years and years in a row. So, yeah, you earn that right. And I feel like Max has earned that right from being there for so long. He went first race in the car, he went and won it. And they know he's a special talent. I do think Jake was hoping that you weren't going to mention Schumacher there. Well, no, 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 no. It, it, it's interesting you say that, but... You talk about the loyalty thing with Verstappen, and I, I do get where you're coming from. Verstappen has been with the Red Bull program since 2014, I think. 
Yeah. Pierre Gasly's been with them since 2012. Alex Albon has been with them since 2008. But they would have, yeah, but they would have known that Max was a special talent. It's not the, well, why pick and them it's then? Clear. No, why but, pick those talents then? Yeah, but if you're going to build a team around one of them, you're going to build it around Max, aren't you? In the same way that Valtteri's a very good driver. I stick up for Valtteri more than anyone else. You're not going to build a team around Valtteri when you've got Lewis Hamilton next to him. I, d- I don't know. I mean, it's it, 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 I, I have said this with Ferrari for years and years and years when they were going up against Mercedes. You need to break up the harmony. I said this about Red Bull. I said this about Ferrari. The only way you're going to beat Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship is if you take Bottas out of that team and take him into yours. Because what you break up the it, chemistry, it, you break up the harmony, you break up what is making them a strong team. And What Sam might agree with here as well, though, is I think it's an overhang from being from Mercedes being so far ahead. It might have been, a, right, we're putting all our eggs in one basket, we want race wins. And our best chance at a race win is Max Verstappen. So we're going to build this car around Max because we know he's special. We are, we're not going to win a title because Mercedes are so fast. You know, you're thinking from 17, 18, 19 and 20, really. You know, Red Bull were happy winning races last season. They, they sort of knew they couldn't challenge, but they were happy that they pushed as much as they did. And building a car that is absolutely optimum for Max Verstappen, who they knew, knew was their best bet... I think it makes perfect sense in that situation. Is it backfiring now that they've got a chance to win the championship and they've got a car? Exactly. But but it makes sense. If you follow the trail of the car back, it sort of makes sense because they were so far off. If I'm Christian Horner, my priority for the last few races of this season is Perez. Without a shadow of a doubt, it's Perez because that's how you're going to win the championship. Max is fine. Max is sorted. He's clicking with this car. He's fast everywhere. He can go for the podium everywhere. He's now ahead of Lewis. So focus on Max. Give him a good car. Fine. Great. But you've got to throw it all the weight behind Sergio now getting those points. You've got to. Because that's how you're going to break the ultimate chain of command of Mercedes dominating year in, year out. It's going to be catastrophic for Mercedes if they lose this championship going into a new regulation year. I am going to be controversial with my last point here, and I suspect it may be the last point of the podcast because I've noticed the time that's getting away from us here. This happens when we start these discussions. Um, I pose the question, do Red Bull and Mercedes, not do they care, but do they need the Constructors' Championship? Because the Constructors' Championship is where the money is. As we all know, the Drivers' Championship is where the glory is. And both teams operating completely at the cost cap, at the budget cap, they don't necessarily need this extra money. I mean, yes, it it would alleviate some pressures and they wouldn't need outside investment, but they both got so many sponsors that they don't... You could quite easily actually argue that they don't need that money. So do they really want that Constructors' Championship or is... I, they'll, they'll say we don't prioritise one we don't have any preference we want both but people remember the drivers champion people you ask people just a, a, a normal person in the street so they'll go name me a Formula 1 champion and they instantly you'll probably get Schumacher you'll get Hamilton you'll get Senna um, there's obviously names that you're not going to get from Joe Bloggs but I mean you ask them who won the constructors championship three years ago no one will know. I mean, does anyone care that it's Mercedes other than 
the big wigs at Mercedes and the the, the team members. It's mm. for me. I think if I'm Red Bull, I yes, constructors is nice. Do I want the drivers' championship more than anything? I think privately, yes. Uh, not privately. He outwardly said it on Sky on the weekend. In that case, Christian they, they Horner asked has him made that question for me. They they asked him that question and he pretty much said exactly the same as you. The money's in the constructors and it would be nice. But if you're asking Red Bull at the moment, he would like the prestige of Max Verstappen winning the Drivers' Championship. But one thing that definitely won't happen is he won't be the youngest ever. That's That ship sailed. That and ship has I already think sailed. hurt them because that's what they wanted. <laughs> that, that is was... what they wanted. That was yeah. That was the big one that Red Bull wanted to uh, wanted to have the final tagline to finish off what would be a perfect 2021 season for them. Uh, unfortunately, as you say, Sam, we are running out of time here on the podcast. But it does seem like after the Turkish Grand Prix is Red Bull that are going to be the happier campers with a second and third place finish on the weekend and Max Verstappen back in the top of the driver's standings as well, six points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Remember, you can stay up to date with everything that we do on the GP Fans Network by getting to at GP Fans Global on Twitter and Instagram. That's at GP Fans Global. Get on to audio any audio provider that you've got, including Spotify and iTunes, and of course, Anchor.fm, our host. And you can find more of the GP Fan Stewards Room podcasts. Like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod there, and get onto the YouTube channel as well. Hit the subscribe button down the bottom of the videos and stay up to date with all of the content we produce there as well. Jake, Ewan, Sam, pleasure as always, gentlemen. We'll be back, of course, to talk all things Austin in about two weeks' time with the USA and the American Grand Prix, and of course, starting off a big triple header. And I hope you'll be able to join me then, gentlemen. 